what's up? Welcome back to the Old School Gym Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Myers, and I got my co-host with me, Nettie G, the business boss. It keeps all the gym bros in check. What up, Nettie? How's it going, Dustin? I'm doing good. So, Nettie is really excited about today's episode. I haven't seen her this worked up in a long time. <laughs> so, Nettie, tell us why you're excited about today's guest. Because our guest today, who, who I've known for quite a while, uh, I had no idea, though. Documentaries are a a thing that I enjoy immensely, and I did not find out until last night that uh, he has a documentary about him and his family, and I watched it uh, from beginning to end, nonstop. Uh, It was insane, and so I have so many questions, and I can't wait to to ask them because it was not your normal uh, sports documentary. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll introduce the man who needs no introduction, Lance the Party Palmer. What up, Lance? What's going on, guys? Pumped to be back at Old School Gym, getting ready to get after it on this podcast today. Hell yeah. So now before we kind of dig into the, because we definitely want to get into the documentary about it, that's what Nettie wants to talk about. (laughs) You know, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, what Lance has coming up and all that good stuff. I mean, uh, any of you guys that are, anyone that's listening that's in the wrestling world or in the fighting world, obviously you're probably, you know, familiar with Lance. He's kind of an Ohio wrestling and sports legend. Uh, But I'll tell you kind of my beginning history with Lance. You know, I grew up. Um, well, I shouldn't say grow up. I guess I was already growing up. But as Lance was growing up wrestling, you know, I was a fan of his when he was in high school. Even, you know, as he was wrestling for St. Ed's, knew who he was, followed along as he won, you know, four state titles. And then, you know, as he got recruited, uh, you were recruited when it was Tom's first year, right? Um, I actually got recruited by Russ Hellickson and Mitch Clark. But when I came in freshman year, Tom was there because it was like end of the year, Helixson resigned, and Tom and Lou and all those guys came in so you over came, the summer. So you came and you were co- in Coach Ryan's first class. Then. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So that, and that was around the time I started following Ohio State wrestling again. You know, so you know, kind of, you know, Lance and Jay and Reese and all those guys. Those are the guys that really got me interested in, in you know, becoming an Ohio State wrestling fan. Really, you know, before that I was probably more of a casual fan. You know, I followed him when Tommy was there yep. and stuff. But that's when I started going to matches again. You know, so you guys had, you know, had some really good teams, had a good run and everything, and. Right after you graduated, that was around the time when I first started training Tommy, but I remember he was like, hey, do you know who Lance Palmer is? I was like, well, yeah, of course I know who Lance is. He's like, well, man, he, he's getting ready to start fighting, and uh, you know, all he knows how to do is wrestle. Like, can I bring him out here, and you can maybe box with him a little bit? I was like, hell yeah, bring, Lance, bring that maniac sicko <laughs> out here. And so Lance came out, and we you know, started boxing a little bit, and that was before you left for California, and yeah. Yeah, that was probably, what, 2010? Yeah, summer of 2010, and... Then I ended up coaching for a year at Virginia Tech, but during that time when I would come home, we would always work together. We would spar together, you would hold mitts for me, we would hit the bag, like, and then we'd just do our sicko workouts. (laughs) (laughs) That was in like a real sicko face, I was doing some crazy workouts back then. So why don't we, Lance, can you go ahead and just kind of let our listeners know your bullet point accolades, if you were going to describe yourself through your career in wrestling and sport, just take us through that. Um... High school accolades, I was a four-time state champ in Ohio for St. Edward High School. And for those that don't know about wrestling very much in Ohio, St. Ed's is like a perennial powerhouse, usually ranked top five or top two in the country most years. But um, I was a four-time state champ in high school, senior national champ, did almost everything you could do in high school accolade-wise, like Iron Man champ, Beast of the East champ, all the tournaments that went along with it. And then 
got recruited to OSU, was a four-time state champ, or four-time All-American at OSU, Big Ten champ, and national finalist. And um, like, like Dustin said, we were the, my four years at OSU was like the building block phase for the era that has come through there and that's there now. So I feel like I was one of the, you know, one of the pillars, as Tom Ryan says, to the program, to where it is now. Nice. Did you, did you have like thoughts of going somewhere else for college or was it always Ohio State? Honestly, when I was trying to, when I was getting recruited, I didn't know because I had so many offers from schools that I didn't even think about, like Oklahoma State. I, I was on the phone with Eric Herrera, who was like a legend in wrestling when I was growing up and uh, John Smith, like conference calls with these people when I'm a junior in high school and I'm like, I was like, dude, I don't even know where I want to go now just because you get kind of shell-shocked about who's calling you. Like the head coach at Iowa, it wasn't Rands at the time, but uh, head coach at Iowa was calling and they were they were kind of in a rebuilding phase and I was like, that wasn't really where I wanted to be. Uh, Northwestern, Cornell, Penn State, like all these schools. And then there were the schools that I didn't really think about going to, but I was getting... Uh, Old Dominion and like places like that where I was like I don't really want to go there but the coaches were really cool and they were great coaches that I've known for a long time. St. Ed's does a really good job of bringing coaches in during this uh, it's like a camp week before the season starts and there's a different college coach every day that comes in and teaches and Michigan they're really heavy with Michigan coaching Mm -hmm. and so they always try to get me to go to Michigan and it was just I was never a Michigan fan. They had a great school, mm-hmm. and they had a great business school, but that wasn't really... I felt like I just didn't click with them like I clicked with all the guys at Ohio State, like Jason Johnstone, Jaggers. Those were the two main guys. That was, like, the main reason I wanted to go there. And Johnstone's still, to this day, one of my best friends. So You probably grew up wrestling with those guys, right? Yeah, Johnstone, we were, we were on a lot of Team Jordan teams together. Like, Jeff Jordan, was a he's like a big Ohio, he runs big camps in Ohio, and he's, he's known at Graham High School, so we were on a lot of his teams growing up, and just being in the same scene together, and even though he went to Perry, and I went to St. Ed's, we knew each other all through high school, and Mike Basillo also, he's he's a guy who I actually, I knew in, before I even started wrestling, because we are in the same uh, Southwest Y wrestling club at Strongsville High School together, when I first started, like nine years old. So all those guys, like I felt like I clicked with them just because I knew them since a young age. So it was just really easy. And Ohio State was, it's close enough to home but far enough away where I could do my own thing. But if I needed to be home or if they needed to come down to visit me, it was super easy. So. And are these all like all full rides that you were getting at this point in time? Does that help like yeah. <laughs> make the decision if they're not offering yeah, you a full ride? Was, every every school was a full ride offer. And even though I believe like Cornell. They technically don't offer scholarships, but there's like endowments and things like that to okay. where your school's paid for, and, uh, and that's kind of how they recruit. But uh, yeah, every every place was a full ride. There was no place that was like uh, 90% or right. 80%. Yeah, so was... to, to put it in perspective, you know, Lance is probably the number one consensus overall kid in the country. He could have went anywhere he wanted. You know, all, all these all these schools wanted him. They, all the schools he named are big wrestling schools. You know, right. Two of you know, follow wrestling, but uh, something I think that is interesting for people to hear, you know, um, youth sports, obviously, like, it's such a big thing in this country, you know, it's the point now where every, you know, 
I think parents think from a young age, okay, if this kid, if my kid's gonna make it to the next level, then we gotta do travel teams, we gotta do this, we gotta do all this different stuff. So I think it's always interesting for parents to hear, you know, like what your dad's approach was, and like, how, why do you think it worked out so well with with you and your brother? I think the, I mean, this is we could go down the rabbit hole with like parenting, like for sports nowadays, because it's crazier. Like people thought my dad was crazy just because he's super intense and he. Like, he cared how we did, and he cared. He wanted us to do really well, and that's why he was so intense. But there's parents that try and mimic that, but they don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. So they're just, like, insane, and they're just pushing their kids away. Mm -hmm. Whether it's pushing them away in their relationship with them or in the sport that they're in. It's crazy, but that could be a whole podcast by itself. Because, (laughs) well, your brother has a storied career similar to yours, correct? I mean, how many state championships did he win? He, I mean, if you go from, like, when he was five years old when he started, he's won, like, he won state every year in elementary school. He won sixth, seventh, and eighth grade in uh, junior high. So the junior high state tournament is something that's really big now, too. Okay. And they do it similar to the high school state tournament. And he was a four-time high school state champ. Oh, okay. Like, wrestling-wise and name-wise, growing up, he was always... He was better than me. Oh, okay. Like, he was always the best wrestler in the country every year. Um, The Trinity Award is something that's huge in in youth sports and youth, youth wrestling. It's, like, the three biggest tournaments, arguably... Before there was like Super 32 and all these other big preseason tournaments, the the Trinity Award was um, Tulsa preseason nationals, Tulsa nationals in January, and Reno Worlds in April. And if you win all three of those, you win this big trophy called the Trinity Award. I saw it in the documentary. <laughs> yeah, my, my brother won. I think he won six of those, maybe seven. But it was like every year he was winning those, and I only I only won one of those. Okay. Because there was always Tulsa Nationals was always the toughest tournament of the year, and I would take like third or second or fourth or I would always have really tough matches, and I was always since I didn't start till I was nine, and he started when he was five. I felt like I was always trying to catch up. Well, and I mean, you probably helped him. I mean, you would wrestle. I see, in the documentary also, you guys had like a little area in your basement yeah. with Matt. So you probably helped his success though with being his bigger brother and being able to to wrestle with him. I would like to think so because we pushed each other. We were so close in weight for so many years that we pushed each other every day. We would drill together in the basement, and that was part of my dad's process too. Was Letting us do things on our own because I was self-motivated. I could have done everything on my own. So, so even though he pushed you a lot, he wasn't breathing down your neck all the time. No. He had to do that with Colin because Colin was so good that he would kind of, I wouldn't say take the easy road, but he would try and slack sometimes because he could and he could still win doing that. But it got to a certain point where you could see that start to catch up in a way where if nobody's pushing him and, and making him do these things, he's not going to do it on his own because he was already so good naturally. Mm-hmm. And that was the only difference between us two. But my my dad was always the person who was, I want you to do this and this. I want you to make sure you're doing these things right. Even in high school when he wasn't our coach, he was still like, are you getting your aerodyne workouts in? Are you going to the gym? Like He would make sure after practice he would be there after his work to meet us at the gym to lift and get our workouts in after practice. Or he would, with me before Kyle was in high school, he would take me 
to the gym in the morning. It was like an old Valley fitness when we <laughs> like when I was in high school. It's one of those ones you get a membership for life. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, that's what he had too. Like he had a lifetime <laughs> membership and it covered like family members too at the time. And so I would go in and lift with him at like 5.30 in the morning and then I would drive to school and he would go to work. So there was always, for me, it was, it was easy because I liked the hard work and I liked pushing myself past the limits all the time. And I think, I think Dustin kind of knows, like, that's why I love training with him because anytime we get together, even if we're, you know, messing around and talking a lot or whatever, we push each other and I like somebody who can do that. And with me, it was always my dad was able to do that and he nice. was able to push me and, and that's why it was a little different for him compared to these other parents. And that's why I think, well, I think the key is you you have the right personality type. He was able to push you because you enjoy the hard work, you yeah. like the challenge. So I think for every, you know, Wayne the Pain there is out there, <laughs> yeah. you know, there might every be five- Wayne the Pain wanna be. Because yeah. <laughs> nobody's gonna be like <laughs> Wayne the Pain. So yeah. let's say there's 500 of them out there in the wrestling world, only one of them might have a Lance as a son, you know, exactly. yeah. and the rest of the kids, you know, maybe they got some talent, maybe they'll work or whatever, but they might not be able to, you know, kind of respond the same way that you did. So. I guess, I guess my point is you can't just try to mimic, you know, what Wayne did and think that you're going to have a kid that's a four-time state champ and then get a full ride to Ohio State. Like, it has to be yeah. the right personality, especially in a sport like wrestling. Did your, did your dad wrestle, though? I didn't get that from the documentary. Um, he, I think he wrestled here and there. Okay. Like, he was never really – he always – he'll even say this. Like, he was, he was more always about going out, having fun, like – getting in trouble on the weekends like that was him like he played football and and stuff like that but he wasn't he was never in like he was never serious in the sport okay and so that's kind of why he was like if you're gonna do this i want you to do it a hundred percent because i feel that he wishes he would have done it a hundred percent gotcha yeah and so it's kind of one of those things where he didn't do it the way he wanted to or didn't have the the focus or someone pushing him to do it because my grandparents didn't, like, they would take him to his baseball games and stuff like that, but they didn't, like, push him in any right. sport. So I think that's why he was, he was like that with us. And he obviously saw that there was Potential. Ability, you guys yeah, have potential, yeah. for us to be successful and use it to get a scholarship because my dad didn't go to college. Obviously, I was born when he was in high school. So that was another thing, too, is he just wanted to provide us with the opportunity to – you know, have our school paid for. And that was pretty much the goal from the time we were in middle school was to do the best we can do and try and get a scholarship through sports. And it ended up working out. So when did he, when did you guys start weight training though? Cause that's with wrestlers. I think that's always an, an, an interesting thing. I think like, weight training wasn't until it might've been like seventh grade, okay, something like that. But he was, he was really smart about what we did. Like we did all body weight training when we first started working out. And the very first thing we did was we started doing push-ups in my parents' bedroom in the mornings. We would do 30 <laughs> push-ups. So okay. We started with 30 push-ups and we would just do them together. And that my at that point my dad was doing them with us. Oh, I was gonna was, say, was Wayne the pain yeah, doing the push-ups? Do okay. And it was just like we would just get up and do our push-ups. Like sometimes when, when your kids are little, you gotta do the stuff with them. Exactly, like how your son, he loves like climbing yeah. on the monkey bars and doing dips. Yeah, we, and we, worked, we worked out the other night, he's up to a two minute plank. That's awesome. I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm a psycho, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. 
My oh, six-year-old yeah. can do a two-minute plank. <laughs> exactly. And it just makes it more fun. Instead of making it, like, something you have to do, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, let's do this. Let's, like... That's how it should be. You yes. shouldn't like have to. Shouldn't have to go work out. You shouldn't have to go for a run. Mm-hmm. You should be like, okay, let's go for a run together. Obviously, not all parents are have the ability or are in shape enough to go do all these things, but it definitely helps because then it makes it more fun for the kid if you're trying to push them in a certain sport. But we got to the point where we were doing um, 100 push-ups at a time, and then we added pull-ups in and sit-ups. So then we were doing. I'll just, I'll cliff note the whole thing. Before we started weight training, we got to the point where we were doing 10 sets of this. We're doing 20 pull-ups with uh, ankle weights. So this is just like one of those indoor pull-up bars that you like put over the door, the door or something? We had that. And then we went to an actual pull-up and dip and uh, push-up machine. It was like a big, just like a tower. Okay, gotcha. And we had that. And we went from, so we did 20 pull-ups with ankle weights on. And then we did 100 push, or no. This, at the very end, we were up to 250 push-ups and 100 sit-ups. Okay. And we do 10 sets of that, and that was our workout. 10 sets? Yeah. 10 sets of 250 push-ups. Wait, you're, wait, you're being... And what, what age do you think you were at there? Um, probably 12, because I think after that, I started <laughs> I started lifting. And, so and all, you, all you 12-year-olds out there that are playing Fortnite, Colin was nine. <laughs> and you, clearly so. you did it, like extreme repetition because you still have it memorized you know 20 something oh, yeah, yeah. You, oh, yeah. you couldn't just do that for a week or a month and be able to do 10 like it was years how long do you think that pull-ups. those 10 sets like took you about an hour and a little over an hour probably is that was that still before school or after school or just that was usually after was wayne the pain still participating when it got to 250 oh, push-ups no. oh, okay <laughs> he was holding the clicker for colin because colin would always cheat on what, the wait wait what's like a clicker 18, like uh, he kept count. Colin would Colin would try and cheat on pull-ups, <laughs> everything. If we were doing steps, like if we were, we did our basement stairs and we would have to run stairs, one would be on the air dime, one would be on the stairs. If if it said if my dad said do fifty stairs, like up and down was one. Fifty. Yeah, it was. It really wasn't that big of a deal. It was probably like ten minutes of work. Okay. But. Okay. When he would say do 50 up and downs and if we got to a point where we had a vest on and like, it was like the training we did then, like we never got tired. Like nobody could, nobody could beat us on cardio or strength. It was all like for me, I would lose because I didn't have the technique down like some of the kids I wrestled. But Colin would always do like 48 or he would do like 18 pull-ups. He would just try to cut corners wherever he could. Yeah, and he would just like think my dad wouldn't notice. And that's why my dad had to get the clicker out. He Don't make me get the clicker, son. That is like, hilarious. I, I could go and do the workout by myself. Right. Like, I could be in the basement by myself or I could do the stairs by myself. And he knew that I was going to do – I would go all the way up. I wouldn't stop before the top step. Like I would do things right because I never thought about just like, hey, I'm not going to do it all the way. Right. I'm just going to do – if I if I have to do it, I'm gonna do the whole thing because why? You're already that far. Why why cut the corner? But that's why the clicker came out because he would do like <laughs> half push-ups or he would do like almost all of them, and it was that was Colin though. He was just it was funny because we would always joke about it, but it was so true. Because I'd be like, dude, you did 19, not 20. And he'd be like, no, that was 20. And my dad would be like. Clicker says 19, and how you like? Because I could literally count his and mine, and I, I had to like, if it wasn't for me and my dad holding him accountable, I mean, who knows if he would have been where he got to mm-hmm. because he would just always cut corners on stuff like that, and he would probably hate me 
for always like calling him out, but I was doing it because I'm like, dude, if I got to do this, you do it too. Like, why are you doing less than me? Like you're, you're better than me as a wrestler. Why not just do everything else the same way you can wrestle? For sure. So Natty, you're getting a glimpse <laughs> inside the world of crazy wrestling dads and crazy wrestling families. Yeah. I could tell like at the beginning when Lance was saying, you know, he didn't really push us that hard and we just wanted to do it. Then you heard ankle weights. Yeah. Well, oh, it sounds like prison. But when you think about it, we were like, like we would get to the point where like we're doing this workout and it was super easy. It not super easy, but it got to the point for us where it was easy. Mm-hmm. So when you're like, you can only do so many body weight pull ups to the point where you're just wasting your time. Right. And that's why weight training became such a big thing for us after a certain amount of time because I was able to do a hundred pull ups straight. You know, just once you can do a hundred straight pull ups, you're like you're wasting your time by doing sets of twenty. You know, and then we added the ankle weights. They were probably like five pounds each each weight. And then we would do 20 with those. Like we started, we brought it down once we went up to weights for on the ankle weights for pull-ups and stuff like that, because you can't just go from 20 regular pull-ups, add 10 pounds and just do 20. So like my dad had a, a method to everything and he, it was really smart, but people just, people misconceive it or they misconceived it for him just being crazy and mm-hmm. pushing us to the extremes. But he always had a method. Right. Like, he always knew exactly. And it was crazy because he didn't have a background in, like, training or being a trainer or anything like that. He learned through training us. And then he eventually got certified and stuff like that to be a trainer. But he, when he started training other people's kids because they wanted Wayne <laughs> Payne to train their kids, right. like, once we got to college and stuff, he was just like, I don't even like doing it because these kids don't have the work ethic that you guys had. And you're just pushing a kid who's just a regular Joe. Right. And that not everybody can handle the intensity of my dad or have the work ethic that we had to be able to do that. So that was kind of... That was the start then. That was the, the, start, the body yeah. weight training at exactly. home. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the other unusual training. I know, Dad, you <laughs> want to talk about this. She, would, she came in kind of wide-eyed today. So why don't you... Yes. Yeah, so um, for all of our listeners, please do yourself a favor. There's a documentary that um, Lance and his brother and his father actually star in. It's called Pinned. And I think, what was the actual year that it was filmed? It was filmed my senior year of high school. So that was 2005, 2006. So it, it, it follows Lance through and his brother through Lance's senior year of high school. And he was fortunate enough his brother was actually a freshman. So it was the one time they were going to wrestle as um, high school athletes together. But I'm watching, very interested. I, I, I know Wayne, I know of Wayne the Pain, so I was ready for him. But there was one, th- there was one part of the documentary that actually like blew my mind away. Um, there was a, a clip from Stephen, the Colbert Report, and I'm like, wait a second. This, is this made up? Is this fake? Because it's, it's called the craziest effing, effing thing I've seen. And the report is Lance Palmer wrestling a bear. And I'm like, I got up from this like late lane. I'm like, is this real? So you have wrestled bears. That was not just a made up clip. It wasn't a one-time thing. You actually have a history of, of that, correct? Yeah. It's kind of like wrestling them was just something we did for fun, honestly. We <laughs> We basically took care of all these animals. Right. So it was... Your dad uh, was like an animal trainer or yeah, like care, caregiver? He was a trainer. And so we called him our uncle and Sam was the guy who 
started, he basically started with one bear. And this was before he knew my dad. And they're so, black bears, right? Is that what they Yeah, like, black okay. bears. Okay. And so he started with one bear and he just, he wanted a bear, I guess. And this was like the 80s, <laughs> okay. like the mid 80s. So he was like, back then it was anything. You goes. could still, yeah, oh, you could yeah, still like get you them. Could, you could get whatever you want. Mike Let's Tyson. get a bear, throw it in the Trans Am and go to town. <laughs> oh Mike Tyson had a white tiger. It's like, <laughs> it's like anybody could have whatever they wanted at that point. <laughs> And so, <laughs> so it's like the picture of Mike Tyson in his underwear and his pool with the white tiger on a chain is the best picture ever. Right. I want to, I want to get a giant one and frame it and put it up in my room. I just love that. Picture. That's like life goals right there. It is. It's just like, dude, you're not, you're not Mike Tyson. Jesse, are you listening? I want to make sure oh. his wife is listening. Oh, so what, knows. what he wants about the bed. I want a black leopard because we used to. I'll, I'll get into it. I'll get into it. <laughs> we don't have enough time to get into all the things I want. Okay, yeah, so back to the wrestling bears. <laughs> so we basically took care of all these animals because our uncle Sam started with one bear. Mm-hmm. My dad met him through a friend that he knew, and I think my dad was like 19 years old or something like that. Maybe he was 18. I, th- I, know he I was think, yeah, he young. was young. That was, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was super young, and I had just been born because I know I was like an infant because they used to take me to some of the bear shows. And this was a wrestling bear. It was called Caesar the Wrestling Bear. And they traveled <laughs> to Canada, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Like, would it be like Virginia. circuses or where were no, they? People they, would wrestle the bear. People would pay like 10 or 20 bucks, whatever it was then, to wrestle the bear at bars and nightclubs. Mm-hmm. And if they could pin the bear down for three <laughs> seconds, they would win a thousand bucks. Which no one could probably right. Do, right? No, there was probably like, I think there was like two people. Well, there was like a set of two girls because they would let two girls wrestle the bear or one guy. What? Girls? This is wild. So two girls like wrestled the bear, but they they like kind of like schmoozed it into laying down and like trying to get it flat. So they kind of like played the part to figure it out because obviously if you're just going to go in They romanced the bear. Oh yeah. If you go in and try and headlock the bear, there's videos if you look, look up Caesar the Wrestling Bear, there's like videos from the 80s or early 90s that people posted from uh, Sam talking on the microphone. And he was really good at like talking the crowd up and like a showman. Oh, he would say the funniest stuff because the bear would like be on the guy's back like this. And he would look like he was about to hump the guy. (laughs) Like the guy would be exhausted because this bear is like 850 pounds. And the guy's just like, has no like people are hammered trying to wrestle these bears too because they're at a nightclub yeah and just so the listeners know too because i did learn this from the documentary that the bears like this is like playtime for them oh, this yeah, is something very it. natural play it's not like the the humans were like you know animal rights like type. Fighting, right yeah. exactly yeah. like it was play for them it's yeah. something that they do on a regular basis and that's no so yeah you'll, you oh, yeah. will have to look them up on youtube but so when was the first time that you were allowed to wrestle the bear <laughs> I was probably like four or five when I started wrestling. Wait a second. Bears. Are you serious? Yeah. I have videos. <laughs> I need to I need to find them and post them online. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those stories that maybe some people know, but like it's not out there enough. Like whenever you know the, the footage of Khabib wrestling the bear came yeah. out, I'm like, dude, it's old news. Like Palmer was doing that in the nineties. We had VHS tapes of all this stuff and my my dad had some of it put over to D V D and I need to like I need to find it all and try and get it put somewhere on it like Put it on my computer. So a I sizzle reel of your bear yeah. wrestling. <laughs> that was like the first time because they always did these bear shows and that turned into them getting more bears. And one of the my dad's favorite bears named Lakota. And he was a bear that my dad trained to sit on a like on a box 
and people could come up, sit next to the bear, put their arm around the bear, get a picture with the bear, take the picture home. And that was kind of how this whole thing trickled down into having tigers, wolves, leopards, because <laughs> people wanted pictures with exotic animals mm -hmm. at state fairs. And they just built this thing into kind of like a, a giant show that people could come and take pictures and, and see these animals. And well, they I think people need to realize too, like this is the pre-internet days. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to see a tiger, you could we could look up, you know, 4K videos of tiger whenever we want. We could exactly. probably, you could probably like Photoshop yourself into the picture. Right. Or back then, like to actually see these animals up close and to be able to touch one, get a Polaroid or something like that would have been a big deal back then. Definitely, and that that was the biggest thing is all these people. When you're at a state fair or at any county fair or whatever, you have a certain type of people that are there anyway. They're usually like farm type people who are excited to see these kind of animals. Right. And they want to touch them and they want to feel like, what's it feel like to touch a bear or a tiger? And it was just like, we had lines at the Michigan State Fair, I'll never forget, because I was like seven years old. And I was running the register and I was always, I was always in the front because the register and then they'd have the people lined up after they pay to get in line for whichever animal they wanted a picture with. And... I couldn't take the money fast enough because the line was literally like, it was all the way down the entire fair for all these people to come see the bear and see the tiger. And we had to like take lunch breaks and put the animals away and feed them and let right. them relax so they weren't just like out there all day because it, it was nonstop. Like people were buying tickets to come back and get their picture. It was crazy. And I remember that was like, that was probably like the peak of it was like the early to mid 90s before PETA started really like mm -hmm. heckling everyone that owned an exotic animal. Right. So they so when was the last time you think you wrestled a bear then? Um it was right before it was literally right before the animals got taken away. Okay. And that was um 2011, 2011. Oh, so not that long ago then. No, it wasn't too long ago, but it was when the um when that guy in Zanesville? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was in Zanesville. It was a guy that owned a bunch of animals like that. I think he, he committed suicide, but before he, he killed himself, he, he let, let all the animals yeah. loose. Yeah. So they were like just running around Zanesville. Yeah. Tigers, bears, everything. Yeah, and I remember the highway which patrol. Kind of, which kind of shows, you know, obviously, you know, your uncle uh, Sam. Sam, yeah. There's people like that that would take good care of the animals, care about them. That's one thing, but this guy... You know, I mean, there, there's certain people that probably shouldn't be able to, you know, own an exotic Exactly, picture. and that's that's kind of where the debate came, and the USDA and the state of Ohio and PETA, like, after that happened, and they didn't want to kill all the animals, but you can't just let these animals roam and wait for the people of the zoo to get down there with trank guns mm -hmm. to put them down and then move them to the zoo, so they had to kill a lot of them. There's, like, there's pictures online of, like, 15 different oh, big no. cats just like laying next to each other because they had to shoot them right and there's like people's safety because they're wild animals and who knows what that guy was doing with them if he just had them there or whatever but yeah they were i mean they were straight up roaming the streets of zanesville yeah like, i mean they could have and there was like mountain anything. lions like on the freeway and stuff yeah. like <laughs> running like it was crazy it was like jumanji because <laughs> when i heard about it i was living in california and i was like man this is insane and then I got a call from my dad that they were basically getting, they had to get rid of all the animals, but um, they, the people who took the animals distributed them to different zoos right. and like 
places like Colorado, there's a big bear sanctuary. Okay. And so there's there's states that still allow it. And, and if you're like a sanctuary or a rescue in other states, you're allowed to have the animals. So that's kind of why they all got distributed to different places. So. So yeah, the the bear wrestling was probably the most interesting, like um, <laughs> like just left field thing that happened during the documentary but there there there's another thing that i do want to talk about and then we'll go on to your current career in the documentary you said that if you ever had kids you would not let them wrestle do you still do you still feel that way post being a senior in high school um i think so because whatever i mean whatever sport they do i feel like i'll still have that stress as a parent for wanting them to be successful (laughs) just because like Especially with my wife, like, she's driven just like I am, so whoever, like, whatever our kids decide to do, whether it's, you know, boys or girls, whatever sports it is, or dance or whatever, they better be the best at it. So I feel like (laughs) I'm going to be stressed out regardless, but if it's wrestling, it's going to be even more stressful because I'll want them to do better than how I do. Yeah, the expectation of them living up to the the former legend. Yeah, and it's going to be, it's going to be so tough because... And I think my brother deals with this a little bit because his son's nine. And he wrestles, but it's just at like a local level up in Akron. When Colin was nine, he was winning national titles and like he was the best kid in the country. Like everyone knew who Colin Palmer was. Guys like David Taylor moved to Ohio just to train closer to Colin. And now David Taylor's a world champ. Like he just won the world's last week. So there's Colin, like the name Colin Palmer, everyone in youth wrestling knew who he was. He was the best kid in the country. And so, like, Logan, like, Logan would train with Colin. We were all in Northeast Ohio. Like, Logan, David Taylor, Colin, they were all around the same size growing up. They all wrestled with each other all the time. My dad used to have Crazy Dad's Weekend where they would all stay at our house. (laughs) It'd be like a weekend camp of, like, 12 kids, like, six six kids Colin's size, six kids my size. We would all get together and have, like, a wrestling camp. And that was kind of how Jeff Jordan's camp started. Gotcha. And now that's giant. Yeah, so. So once once you leave Ohio State, um, you've never really left the wrestling fighting world. Is that correct? Have you ever, like, ventured outside except for the coaching for a little bit? Take Because um, I don't really know anything about the MMA career. So can you walk us through, so through that? Coaching-wise was the only thing that I did differently in between. So after I left, after I graduated from Ohio State, I was – Basically planning on moving to California to Team Alpha Male. I kind of I got recruited by Uriah Faber to go train with those guys, and they had already they had already had other wrestlers who were starting to fight at that time. Like Chad Mendez was in the WEC at that time. He wrestled for Cal Poly, lost to Jay Jaggers in the national finals um, of the NCAA's, and TJ Dillashaw, who's a bantamweight champ of the UFC now. All guys who used to wrestle, he would kind of recruit them because he knew the work ethic of a wrestler and just the drive and ability to do well in the sport of MMA. And I was almost, I was literally about to pack my truck and move there, like no money. I just graduated college. I was probably in debt more than anything, just credit card debt, (laughs) because my school was paid for except for my last quarter. And then a guy who's actually like, an enemy now for Ohio State, Mike DeSabato, <laughs> he actually paid for my last quarter of school just because there was, it's, that's a whole other story. But, <laughs> so DeSabato's actually always had my back and he's always been a good guy. He just, he gets a lot of flack because he chooses to be the way he is. Mm-hmm. But that's, 
that's a whole other disaster story. Right. So he, he helped me pay for my last quarter of school. And, and he was kind of always like helping me out, taking care of me. He ended up sponsoring me through Cage Fighter for a little while. But I got an offer from Virginia Tech. This was like the week before I was going to go drive my car to California. And I told my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, I was like, can I borrow your car? I'm going to drive down. Because I had a truck and I was like, I had no money. I'm like, I don't want to drive this thing five hours from Columbus to Virginia. And so I drove her car down. It was literally a one-day trip. I drove down and drove back. And it was literally to meet the coaches. It was Kevin Dresser, Tony Roby. Um, they were the assist, the head and assistant at the time. Now Tony Roby's the head coach. And a kid, Connor Brady, who I trained here, is going on a scholarship to wrestle for him next year. So everything came back full circle, which is pretty crazy. And I only coached there for one year. And after that season, I was like, I'm not done competing. It was kind of weird being on the sidelines, coaching all these, like, coaching all these kids who were, you know, great wrestlers, but I was still active in the room. I was, I, I never stopped training really. And I was like, I need to, I just need to do it now because you never get any, you don't get younger as the years go on and fighting is a small window of mm -hmm. opportunity uh, for just for your age. All sports are like that. And it probably, it would have been easy. The easier road at that point would have just been to stay in coaching and kind of work your way up the coaching ladder. Yeah. You already were a year into it. You know, you could have like a, probably transition to like a head assistant somewhere and maybe even, you know, by this time, you know, six, seven, eight years later, might have been a head coach somewhere. And that yeah. would have been probably been the easier route to pick. Definitely. And that was, that was kind of my idea of what I wanted to do after college was get an assistant job somewhere, work my way up, get, I always wanted to stay within the big 10, but I took the job with Virginia Tech because right when I met those guys, I was like, these guys, they're real people. They're not, they're not feeding me something. They're not just bringing me here uh, to fill in a position. Like, they really want me to be here. Mm -hmm. And I meshed really well with them. They were a great, great group of guys. And anybody can be coaches, but to be able to get along with each other and coach together is a completely different thing. And my goal was always to, I was like, man, I'd love to coach at Ohio State. Eventually, I'd love to be a head assistant or head coach at Ohio State because that's where I went. That's where, like, I would just love to plant my roots here and be a head coach. But I still <laughs> wanted to compete. And I know Tom Ryan's going to try and be the head coach till he dies. So I, <laughs> I still, like, I still say that. I'm like, I got to outlive Tom. And I I'll feel like, like Tom's going to live till he's like 120. Oh, oh for sure. But <laughs> he'll still be like, Doing like these bike workouts at almost <laughs> heart attack every time. Yeah, running marathons and everything else. But I was just like, I was like, I'm not done competing. I ended up moving to California, started started training. Took so was that first. offer the team alpha male still on the table then a year later? Or? Yeah, okay. and really what it was was just to come train with them because okay. once I got out there, and this was something I didn't realize either. I was like. There's like nobody, there's nobody paying for you to like live and be Well, there. that's what I was going to ask. Did, did, was it just an invite? Like Dustin invites people to come train at old school with him one day. Like there's no financial tie at this point in time. No, correct? I thought that's what there was because I heard about <laughs> other guys like going to other places like American Top Team or Black Zillions or just these other gyms. And they were like, 
getting put up for free and at least like living for free to where they could kind of get on their feet and get their first couple fights under their belt. Okay. But there was nothing like that. Like I moved into this house that um, Favor's assistant owned and I was paying rent to him and like paying gym fees. And the one thing they did do is they didn't make me pay gym fees until I started making decent money, which was okay, that's nice. Of all the other stuff I got to pay for, that, <laughs> like, that tiny amount of money was nice to be able to have in my pocket. Right. But that was the misconception that I had, too. I was like, man, I'm going to move out there. They're going to take care of me, you know, whatever. Like, I had this big misconception about sponsorships and, like, them hooking me up right away with a sponsor who was going to pay me monthly to be able to at least pay my bills and stuff like that. It wasn't like that at all. Well, I think that, that's an important you know, point <laughs> a lot of people don't realize, you know, it, MMA, like a lot of other sports or a lot of other things, like you don't really, you're not comfortable, don't make a lot of money until you're at the top exactly. of the sport. You know, it's not like when you're at this entry level position, you just have everything handed to you. And like you said, that you have some sponsors going to pay your a monthly <laughs> stipend and all this stuff. It's like, you know, you really have to work and kind of, you know, not only achieve a lot in the, in the um, you know, in the cage or the ring or whatever, but you also have to kind of like be able to show your value to sponsors and stuff like that. Definitely. And it was one of those things where once I got out there, I was kind of pissed because I was like, man, this is, I didn't move here to struggle. Mm -hmm. I moved here to like succeed and build myself. And I was doing private lessons and in California, none of these little kids, parents knew who I was. Right. Like they weren't following college wrestling. And like I had to build my name again in another state across the country as a great wrestler and coach because now I was coaching the wrestling at Team Alpha Male. I was coaching all these little kids. You could have just handed the uh, parents a DVD of pin. <laughs> Watch this and then I'll take my rates. Yeah. I know, I should have. It didn't even come out until around then though. Okay. So at that point it was like, that was pretty new too. I think I still have the copy you gave me autographed and gave it to me. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't even think I have a copy anymore, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> Dustin can give you his. But I was out there and I was like, I was like, man, I love that. I love this sport. Like I was learning every day. It was like addicting because I was learning every day. I felt like I was getting better every day, and I was with a group of guys who just like wanted to be great, like-minded, like myself, uh, motivated, trying to be the best. And at that point, I feel like those first couple of years there was when our team really thrived because we were just everybody was trying to get better. Everybody was just it was such a tight knit group, and. I was barely making any money fighting. Like I took my first fight a month into training, beat the guy in the first round. I had a first round submission and I probably made like 1500 bucks maybe. Maybe like 3000 with the sponsor little right. sponsorships I could get, but it wasn't on TV. It was I think it was on like a live feed somewhere. I have no idea. <laughs> and it was just like it was in a gym in uh, Cal State Bakersfield. It was called Fight for Wrestling. And that was my first pro fight, and I was, like, addicted after that. Like, being, like, so nervous that you're almost scared when you get in the cage, and they lock the door, and you can hear the door, like, click, close, and you're like, I gotta beat this guy up, or he's... Yeah, was it a totally different energy, like, feeling at the start of an MMA fight versus your wrestling career? A hundred percent. Because I was so green to it, Mm -hmm. and it's a completely different sport, regardless of how well I did in wrestling, and... I, I didn't feel like that since I started wrestling at nine years old. And so it was such a weird feeling because you're just like new to something again. 
And it was a great, it was an awesome feeling, but it was also addicting to the point where I was like, this is something that I can do and I can do really well at. And so I stuck it out and kept mowing lawns and doing private lessons and just scraping by. What year was that first? When did you take your first? 2011. Okay, that was your first That was May of 2011. And it was hard to get fights at that point because anyone that would look me up, looked up my, they would see my wrestling background. And early, like in MMA, most guys who aren't wrestlers aren't going to fight a wrestler because they know they can't defend the wrestling at that high of a level. And so I couldn't get fights. I, my second fight was against a guy who had 30 fights. And that was the only guy that would take the fight. And he was like a crackhead that everybody knew was a meth head. <laughs> but he, he was like, he was a gamer and he would show up and fight. And I literally beat the piss out of this guy for three rounds and he wouldn't go away. And like, it was a great fight. And I got my second win and just kept building and, and got to the point where I wasn't making, I still wasn't making a lot of money, but I was making enough to like scrape by and and do what I had to do, but I was still training kids and doing things like that because that was the only way I could really pay the bills. And It was just, at that point, there were a lot of times where I was like, man, I should have just taken the easy road and been a coach. Mm-hmm. But when I get to fast forward to seven and a half, almost eight years to where I'm at right now, I'm nine weeks away from fighting for a million dollars and it's, it's like completely opposite. It's right. so weird. Yeah, so for any of you guys that don't know, so Lance is in the, it's the Professional Fighters League, yep. which is on, what what is it on? NBC Sports. So it's on NBC Sports, and what I really like about the uh, the PFL is they have it set up, it's like a season, and each weight class is like a bracket. Mm-hmm. So picture it's like a wrestling tournament, but it's spread out over so many months. So you have, what, a 16-man bracket, right? It starts with 12. Okay. And you have two regular season fights, mm-hmm. and the points the point structure for those fights sets you up for the eight-man bracket in gotcha. October. So Thanks. basically then they bracket the, the final eight guys up, then you had to fight twice in one night, yep. right? You had to, you know, essentially the quarterfinals and the semifinals in one night, and then you make it to the finals and fight for a million bucks on TV it's crazy. on New Year's Eve. Yeah. yeah. Don't get any bigger than that. Yeah, right? at Madison Square Garden. Oh, it is? I didn't know that part either. Awesome. Yeah. So what's your current your current record? Um... Or does it does it kind of divide before like leagues? <laughs> no, it's okay. all just your professional record okay. is all together. Okay. And I'm 16 and three. This year was the most active year for me because I've had four fights and yeah, ni- 19 fights in eight years or seven years or whatever. That's a lot. Yeah, and honestly, the first three years I only had like four or five because it was so hard to get fights early on, and then it just started building up to. Like, this year was the most active I've ever been, because this would be five fights in one calendar year, where I've never had that in my entire career. Yeah, you use the term fast forward, but just you talking about it, it sounds like it would be a very slow, grueling process to get... It was. Especially with the training, and then, like, not being able to get in... I don't know that... Walk us through that a little bit. How do you keep motivating yourself to continue to train? I mean, you've been training, you know, since (laughs) a child, so, like... What, what do you do on those days when you're like, I just, I don't want to go to the gym. And how often does that happen? It doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be honest. I can't sleep at night knowing I got to go to the gym in the morning. Um, I think for me, motivation, you always have like mental blocks for motivation. I think anybody can tell you that you're not always going to have that top motivation where you wake up in the morning, jump out of bed, like the first day of school and you're ready to go to the gym. 
it's not for me i have days where i i like i'll dread training just because either my body's super sore from being overtrained or i'm just like in that part of camp where like for fight camp it's it's a little different because you put your body through more stress than you do in the actual fight most of the time and you're just trying to put yourself in the best position to succeed in the fight so you're training all these different things every single day and your body breaks down so much and you break yourself down an entire camp because you want to make sure you're in shape to be able to go the entire fight if it has to go that long or whatever skill set that person has you want to be able to be better at that and be able to cancel it out and there's just so much that goes on because MMA is so much different from wrestling. Wrestling was one thing. Mm-hmm. I had to focus on one sport and focus on one little technique here or there. And when I wrestled my senior year of college, I was literally just fine-tuning little things. And I was literally just fine-tuning to be one person because I was the only person that I knew if I beat them, I'd be a national champ. And I beat him, but I beat him two weeks too early. So, <laughs> but like stuff like that, when you're at the the top of one sport at the collegiate level, and you go to a completely different sport, and you have to learn all these other things from scratch. So basically, I went into my first pro fight knowing nothing but wrestling. Like I was training everything, but I knew like nothing. I literally just grabbed the dude's neck and choked him out. And luckily, top riding and wrestling was my, my thing. So it kind of transferred over really well to where I'm at like 10 or 11 submissions or whatever it is out of my Well, I'll tell you, fights. when you first started coming out here, you know, like right after you graduated, when I say that he didn't know anything about boxing or striking, I mean, nothing. nothing. I mean, he probably yeah. threw some bar punches, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But yeah. those <laughs> are the big old haymakers. Those are the big haymakers. <laughs> yeah. So I can remember working with you first and, like, teaching you how to throw straight punches, teaching you how to step. Oh, yeah. I remember it. It was frustrating. I, because it was like, we were just talking about it because we just got a nice sick pump in our chest earlier. And I was right. like, dude, I never do chest because it makes me feel so slow when right. I box. And that's what I felt like. Mm-hmm. I was like all wrestling stiff like couldn't even move my feet right like but it, it was weird <laughs> to see someone that i knew was truly world class at one thing. at one thing right and then to be complete to have complete no knowledge be complete amateur and another thing that <laughs> yeah. you think it just goes hand in hand because it's all about fighting but it's really you really did have to start over and what's been interesting for me as your friend and your training partner you know, because now you kind of go back and forth between your training camps. You lived in California for a while. Yeah. So even though we've known each other, you know, eight years, you know, we train together maybe, you know, a couple months out of the year or whatever. Yeah. So then every time you come back, it's been like light years improvement, you know? And I think like after the first couple years when you would come back, I'm like, like you didn't even look like the same person. Like when you didn't <laughs> yeah. hit the bag or anything. It's, it's pretty, crazy. pretty cool to see how, how fast you're able to progress out there at a real camp with real coaches and real training partners. Yeah, and that's one thing that's been really fun for me over the last seven or eight months. I think I started in March when I moved out to Vegas for my camp there. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest difference with that was... So you're at, you're at Extreme Couture now, yep, correct? Yep, so I moved... Well, when Jesse and I moved back about a year and a half ago to Columbus, it's mainly so when we start our family here, we already have our roots. We just bought a house in May, so we're here, and this is where we want to be. Her parents are Cincinnati, mine are in Cleveland, so that was always our plan, was to be closer to home once we start our family, and so I had to I had to figure out where I wanted to be for training, and 
in Columbus for MMA at the level that I want to get to, they just don't have the gym that I need to be at. Mm -hmm. And so I, one of my best friends in MMA is Joe Benavidez and he lives in Vegas and trains in Vegas. And he was like, Hey man, come out and train for a week. If you'd like it, you can basically the same thing that Faber said to me, but <laughs> Joe is like one of my best friends in life. Like he's who you met at. Yeah, who I met at Alpha Male. So, like, it came, it kind of came around full circle because he left Alpha Male because his wife needed to live in Vegas because she works for the UFC and okay. the UFC headquarters is in Vegas. And so he was like, I'm just going to move there and start doing my camps there. He already had some coaches there that he liked using and uh, some training partners. So, it was super easy for him to transition there. And then I spent about another year, year and a half at alpha male and I was like I just needed to get some different training some fresh a fresh start basically new partners new looks because it's always you think about high school wrestling to college you wrestle in high school for four years with a team then after that four years you go to a better team or a team of different guys not necessarily better it's just a higher level and I was at alpha male for about seven years and we always get different people coming to train and things like that but I was always sparring with the same guys and it kind of just, I wouldn't say it gets stale, but you just get used to the same things and you're not getting different reactions and different, it's always, it's always better to reach out and keep improving by going to different places. And, and Do you think it would be nice now like to be able to go up to camp and not have to worry about also, you know, helping the other guys with the wrestling and things like that, so it would be more like you can just, just kind of focus on training for your fight? That's been, that's been a huge portion of this year is... I've been focused on myself and I've had my coaches that have been focused on improving my style and what I'm already good at and I haven't had to worry. I still help guys like not actually running practices but I'll still put in my two cents here or they'll ask me this or that because they know that I have the abundant amount of knowledge just from learning from all these great coaches at Alpha Male and now at Extreme Couture. So. When I was there for that week with Benavidez, I was like, this is, I'm going to do my first camp here. And, and then it turned into doing my whole year there. And now it'll probably be a place where, depending on how long I fight, I could finish my career training there if I don't start my own thing here before then. So will you go to camp one more time before the New Year's Eve fight? Yeah, and then what I does actually, that look like? I actually leave next week and okay. it'll be eight weeks. It'll be an eight week camp for, okay. for this fight. Gotcha. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm thankful that you do have your home base back here in Columbus, so that way when you're in between camps, I get to like lift like a meathead with you and <laughs> go run sprints and do exactly. all that crazy stuff we like doing. So. The Hoover steps. That's like my favorite thing. Like, we come in and lift, or we go do the steps at Hoover. That's, uh, all that stuff is so much fun because it's, when you're in camp, you're kind of in a zone and you're training with, like, you're just doing your training for your fight. When I come back here... I kind of just get to have fun and lift with you and get to get to run and we get to do like all the things that I have fun doing because my life has always been in the weight room or like running or doing aerodyne sprints and stuff like that. So it's like, that's just where I just thrive off of that stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't like to like, I don't meet buddies at the golf course. It's like, we'll meet at the gym, we'll meet at good friends. I mean, even the earlier, I was like, hey, you want to go run 12 miles with me and Thomas on Friday? We'll go to Hockey Dales. And you're facing excited about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that's a, the way you were raised, the way I was raised. That's the type that sounds like, that's like fun, like, 
fellowship to me. Exactly. Get, get together and suffer. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> Suffering is the best, especially when you do it with friends. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. But, Lance, why don't you tell the listeners again the day that the day your fight, where they can find that, and then where they can find you on social media. On New Year's Eve, December 31st, at 7 p.m. on NBC Sports, I'll be fighting for another world title and a million dollars and in the PFL season one. So, so I'm excited exciting. about that. Yeah, so we before are... you head out and hit the town for New Year's, make sure you guys tune in and watch Lance. Oh, yeah. And you know, tell them your, your Instagram and uh, Twitter and all that stuff. Instagram and Twitter are the same. They're both Lance Palmer. And then my Facebook page is Lance Palmer MMA website lancepalmermma.com that's pretty much it get your party gear lancepalmermma.com <laughs> <laughs> and watch the documentary you can find it on YouTube it's pinned yep pinnedmovie.com or YouTube or I don't think it's on I don't think it's on Netflix yet but I think it's on Amazon so that's awesome well thanks thanks for uh, coming in and talking to us and sharing all of your knowledge and sh- bear fighting <laughs> which I'm so I still have more questions about bear fighting but we'll, we'll, we'll take that off the bike yeah, oh, yeah. Um, thanks, thanks Lance. thank you guys hey guys thanks for listening to the old school gym radio podcast do us a favor subscribe like share hell even write a book report about how great this podcast is we really appreciate the support thanks for listening